Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 147 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives and the changing world we're living in, and it's certainly changing every day as we watch the events unfolding. Um, as always, we have interesting guests, but it's not my job to introduce our guest. Kathleen does it so much better than I do. Uh, but first, the plug for Kathleen, she wears another hat, and that is to help you with any recruiting or development needs you need in your IT world. She's uh, got good contacts on that. So if you have a problem there, get hold of her. Welcome, Kathleen. How are you doing in Waterloo today? I'm doing great, Peter. And uh, thank you also very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. His name is Terry McMullen. Welcome, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Now, Terry, you are a passionate student of philosophy and social psychology. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about your background and what led you to change from a traditional career in the corporate world to studying philosophy? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I'll give the kind of quick background and, and some of it's going to sound cliched as it often does, but we can, we can obviously get into it. So, for most of my life, I kind of, I, I went to university, I got my degree, I went to business school, I was a consultant by training, um, and, and have done that for much of my career. Um, and it was a, it was a pretty good life, to be honest, there was, there was nothing really, really wrong with it. Uh, I was, I was relatively happy. But as I look back on it now, what I would say simply was that I just wasn't living completely authentic to myself. Um, and I say that in a very like logical, pragmatic way. Like I hadn't taken the time to think about what really mattered to me. I probably acted more on emotion and intuition and just kind of going with the flow, what was comfortable. Um, so the kind of tipping point for me though, was when I started to realize to do more of that, to figure out who I was and ultimately make that change, um, was probably there was two life events that happened that drove that one, uh, my sister passed away and the other was my son was born. So kind of major life events that kind of rattle people, I think, as you would expect. And for me, it made me start being much more introspective and reflective and thinking about those questions. And that kind of headed me down the path. Oh, interesting. To you, Peter. So I'm just hearing you hearing what you're saying and thinking about what I read about you on, on the profile I looked at, you've now spent 30 years studying philosophy and, and social psychology. And, and I know that you want to find out what makes people tick. What really fascinates you about this though? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's mainly just, um, I tend to try and approach things very logically. To me, it's just the logical way to live in that our minds drive so much of what we do. Um, it dictates mm -hmm. so much of who we are. And ultimately that's our number one tool to try and live kind of a happy, good life. So understanding my mind and the human mind better to understand its flaws, its biases, how it works in different ways and all that only seems logical to me because that gives me a better chance to live a happier life. I understand myself better. I understand the pitfalls that might come up, but then you lead to the question of like, okay, now I'm better equipped to live a happy life for a better life, but what is a happy life and a better life? And then you get into the philosophy point. So that's where that kind of psychology philosophy thing um, crosses for me. But it's ultimately around just trying to figure out how can I have the best life I can have. And, Interesting. And can you go into a bit more detail there, Terry, uh, in terms of how did you go about exactly figuring that out? Because there's a lot of people that spend an entire lifetime, quite honestly, 
never yeah. getting to the root of, of what would make them happy or finding their purpose in life. How, how did yeah, it's, it's, it's a journey. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm even there yet. I think it's an right. ongoing process, but um, I think it starts with me. I, I keep saying the word logic. It's, it's kind of, the goal was to try and get clarity, to try and better understand, again, what mattered to me ultimately. My goal was always to live a thoughtfully authentic life. That's kind of the, the target I set. And, and thoughtfully meaning to really just consider the different aspects of me and what matters to me and all the different experiences I've had and authentic in terms of what really matters to me. Um, but that's hard. It's hard to do that because you have to kind of challenge yourself. You have to be willing to entertain. There's certain aspects of yourself that maybe you don't love or that there's parts of you that you were putting on a show for more for other people. So it's kind of doing all that work. Um, but it's very logical. Like it's just following the thread and trying to understand um, what makes me happy, what makes me feel like there's some fulfillment there and then there's, there's some purpose there. Um, but it's through a lot of work. Ultimately, I think um, it's being really self-reflective. It's really questioning and trying to get to like a first principles view of um, what matters to me and why I ultimately act the way I act. So in kind of this long journey of studying philosophy and psychology, I kind of picked up lots of tidbits along the way. And I'll say most of the stuff that I've learned that I've kind of picked up, it's not novel. It's not, I haven't figured out anything that nobody else knows. I think the only thing that the big thing that I think allowed me to get to a better place was ultimately um, humility, I would say, and, mm -hmm. and kind of entertaining the idea that I wasn't as good, as happy, as successful, as have it all figured out as I thought I did. And once I entertain that idea, then you say, okay, let me figure out how I can be better. And you go down the path. I'm curious, do you incorporate um, meditation into this as well? I do. I started that about a year ago. Um, and it's funny because when I, I tried to do it multiple times over the last maybe four or five years, mm -hmm. and I just didn't get it. I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't like it. I don't see any benefit. And then I read a book on it. Um, and it gave me somewhat of a more practical answer to it in terms of it's, it's trying to not literally control your mind, but have more control over what you think about and your thoughts and just not be so reactive. And once I kind of connected that and understood it a little bit better, the activity of actually sitting down and meditating when my mind would go over the place. Previously, I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this wrong. This stinks. But then I started to realize, like, oh, this is the point. I'm trying to mm -hmm. figure out how to work through that and how to get a better handle on that. Um, so I've actually really enjoyed it now. For the last year or so, I've been doing it and I, I find a lot of value in it. Can you share what book that was? Uh, you know what? I will have to get back to you on it. Okay. It was a, it was a small okay. handbook. Um, yeah, I'll figure it out. I don't remember the exact book right now, but I might be. I might come back to you before we end. No worries. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Peter. I'm monopolizing him today. That's right. <laughs> you were going to ask him about his YouTube channel. I thought. Oh, you're right. You're right. There you go. You've just done that for me. For you me, guys Peter. are a good Thank team. You. So. Well, it's a good question, too, because it, it probably more directly answers the question you asked before, Kathleen, about like, how did I get there? Um, so probably what, what really started to drive that was um, almost two years ago now, I created a YouTube channel and I, I kind of set myself the goal of saying, I'm going to make a video every day for a year. Just that's it. N nothing more than that. No goal in terms of how many you know subscribers I wanted or what exactly I would talk about. It was just going to be kind of my thoughts and learnings along the way. Um, and I did it. I, I stuck to it every day for a year for 365 days. And what happened was um, through that process, it almost became that was the work that needed to be done. That's where I kind of talked about the things I was thinking about. I challenged my own thoughts. I kind of held myself accountable for different things I was considering and different activities or actions I was taking. 
Um, and that kind of referring, re a recurring everyday process um, helped me a lot. So I've stuck with that. So now at this point, I don't do it every day, but I have a pretty robust YouTube channel now where I pretty much talk about this stuff. I talk about philosophy and kind of big questions that I'm thinking about, you know, like what really is happiness? Um, is there such a thing as objective truth? But then I'll also talk about the more social and cognitive psychology aspects and kind of how our subconscious plays into that. So I like to think of it kind of as the macro and the micro level sides of it. Um, so yeah, just kind of quick hitting five, six, seven minute videos on, on all those different topics. Oh, no, that's a, okay. a topic of uh, the objective truth. I, I would love to know more about that. <laughs> yeah, my, my take. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you my quick take on it. So oh, yeah, my, my view is objective truth exists. But we likely is as we are now, we'll never know it. We'll never know if we found it. So it's almost a myth. Although it exists, we can never really have it. Um, mm -hmm. which is a weird situation, but my personal belief is you still aspire towards it. You try and get more clarity. Mm -hmm. You try and get more information. You be self-reflective. You try and understand other perspectives. You be empathetic because you want to get as close as you can to it, but never fool yourself into thinking you'll ever actually have it. And you can be absolutely certain about anything because things are just too fluid and, and we don't grasp them that way, I think. Yeah. I think before we overlook this one, you were just talking about your YouTube channel. Let's tell our audience how to find your YouTube channel. What's it? Yeah. Under? So it's, it's under my name. I, I use the name. My mom calls me when I'm in trouble, but it's under Terrence McMullen. Um, so you can, you can find it through that. So T E R R E N C E last name is McMullen M C M U L L E N. Um, yeah. And uh, you'll see, you'll see a whole bunch of stuff there, all, all sorts of different videos. Um, so yeah, that's the best way to get to it. I want to look at it. I haven't had a chance to look at it. I've been away, but I'm certainly going to be looking at myself. That leads me to something. You said you did one for a video every day for 365 days. Um, I'm going to tell you my experience with setting a goal to do something for every day for 365 days in a moment. But would you say in trying to change one's, um, not one's character, one's um, approach to life, for instance, for want of a better term, that goal of a, of doing something every day over a long period is is very important an important tool for affecting those changes i do think it's an important tool it's funny i was just having this conversation with somebody i i do but i don't think it's the most important or or even okay. the large majority of it i think that's an important way to do it but i personally believe it's got to be figuring out kind of at a root level what you value most and figure mm -hmm. out what you actually care about because until you figure that out you can put all different systems in places and all different habit forming and different things that you do. And, and they can help incrementally. But to me, it's only once you actually figure out what the truth is and what matters for you and what you're trying to get to that you can actually increase the odds as much as you can that you'll get to that end place. So I think overlooking that piece and just jumping into the goal setting and, and, and running after a habit, um, it's not a bad thing, but I don't think it's the optimal way to do it. I think it has to start okay. with that introspection. Although I would counter that by saying, in my experience, the exercise you're talking about, introspection and what, considering what's important, is a very painful exercise for a lot of people. And, and perhaps taking it in very small chunks by doing a five-minute video every day makes it less painful. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there for consideration. No, I, I don't disagree. And I think like most things, it's, it's nuanced and it's complex. And I sure. think you're right. I think the work to do that is super hard. Um, and for some, it feels almost impossible. And for some, it might be right. Who am I to say? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. In certain circumstances, taking that action and starting that process is, is not a bad thing. What I worry about, though, on the flip side is that sometimes people use that as kind of what I would call like a cognitive out. So if they right. say, like, hey, that's really hard work, it's going to be too overwhelming. Let me just start a process. 
but then yeah. they're starting the wrong process and they never right. actually deal with that root issue. So I think sure. there's a balance there for sure, but I'm always kind of worried about going too far in either direction. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a very, very good point. Very quickly. My one was, uh, I used to run marathons, but now I've had, for various reasons, I can no longer run marathons. So I walk a lot. And I'd, I did a, one of those pilgrimages overseas a couple of years ago. Wanted to go last year and couldn't because of the virus situation. So I said, I need another physical goal. So I said, okay, I'm going to walk for 100 days without missing a day. Mm. And I hit it. And I said, I'm going to go to 200. And then I said, I've got to do a year. So I, at 369, I stopped. But having nice. made that commitment... I did it. And, and I mean, I can remember one night I hadn't walked. It was nine o'clock snowing like hell last winter. And I said, I have to walk. And my wife said, you're absolutely nuts. I said, I've got to walk. <laughs> what, what was, but, I'm curious. What was the, what was the why? Like, what was the reason when, when those hard days where you didn't want to do it, what was the thing that on the other side of the equation that said, I have to do it for this reason. I've got to hit my goal, my target of 365 days. <clears throat> it was a hundred, then 365. Uh, as a form of self-discipline, if you like, that I, I think in my life I've given up on stuff I shouldn't have done, and this is one I wasn't going to give up on. So anyway, this show is not about me; it's about no, you. No, but I so, get it. <clears throat> it's really interesting uh, hearing hearing your comments here and talking. I know Kathleen wants to talk to you about something else um, before I jump in again with another. Well, go question. ahead, Peter. Go ahead. No, you wanted to ask um, Terry about his his philosophy, which he has a name for. Let's let's have a look at that one. That's the important thing we want to hear. Oh, okay, all right. Let's let's do that. So, Terry, can you tell us more about this philosophy? And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's called a drogo. A drogo, yeah, that's okay. it. And and it's funny. I, I I picked that. I think I'm pretty sure that means to question in Latin. Uh, I'm almost certain it does. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was kind of like a quick thing of like, oh, I like that to question. That's important, but. What, what I think that philosophy is, and, and as I said before, it's not meant to say like um, anything grandiose about it. It's, it's really just things, lessons that have been learned over thousands of years by lots of different people, but my view of it and how I kind of picked it up. But at its core, it's, it's a combination of two things, which I think relates back to what you were just saying too, Peter, with your, with your you know, walking every day for a year. There's one component of it, which is almost a mathematical logic, um, like a very intellectual mathematical logic that you need to use to figure out and get more clarity on yourself and the world around you. And the basic premise of it is why that's so important, that kind of mathematical logic is that our brains are designed in such a way that's um, not necessarily aligned for giving us the best life, right? It's, it's in the terms of our evolution, the way the subconscious functions, the biases, the blind spots we have, the sense of like protecting our ego, those are all things that serve a functional purpose, but they're not good all the time. So mm -hmm. to combat those things, to, to overcome those biases, to overcome those blind spots and to kind of keep your subconscious on track, I think the best way to do that is to use a very mathematical, logical approach so that you look at things very logically and analytically and try and get as much clarity as you can. So that's kind of one half of the equation is doing that thought work to understand whatever it is you're trying to do. The other side of it, though, is more of like the mental toughness to actually execute on it, because mm -hmm. it's one thing to go through the thought exercise and figure out what your issues are. It's another thing to actually accept it and then accept it every single day that so you can do the work to change it. So at, the, at its core, this Adrogo philosophy is really the marrying of those two things. Um, okay. And the idea is to get back to that, what I mentioned before, being thoughtfully authentic, to figure out who you really are so that you can kind of live in accordance with that. Mm -hmm. So I've got to jump in here and say, um, I found daily readings from Stoic philosophy helped me tremendously. I've had some serious ups and downs in my life. 
I don't need to go into now. Life has changed considerably. And at times when I thought, you know, I can't see any hope or any future, uh, just relying on on some of those maxims of Marcus Aurelius and those, you know, deal with the world as it is, not how you'd like it to be and, and things like that. And um, how much of that is is in your philosophy? Yeah, I read a ton of the Stoic stuff. Uh, Ryan Holiday is somebody that I, I read. Ryan Holiday, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it, I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of overlap there in terms of how it functions. And I think, yeah, there it is. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Cause I think in many ways, what, what stoicism is trying to do is to, is to act in what I would call as big logically as possible. They're trying to kind of not remove emotions from the situation, but account for emotions, but not let that tell the whole story. Um, <laughs> think about it very logically, not overreact to other people's actions and those types of things. So I think there's a, a heavy component of that. The thing I would add to it just a touch, or maybe not add to it, but just the way I think of it is there's this, um, this constant need, and that's why I say a drogo for questioning. So even in, in stoicism or in a drogo or in anything we do, it's kind of a funny philosophical concept, but it's, it's, you can never be too confident in it. You can never be too certain and say, hey, I figured it out. If I just follow the stoics or if I just follow this a drogo philosophy or whatever it is, then I'm there. Because to me, the only way to actually get there is to never believe you're there, is to always be questioning and thinking like there may be something I'm missing, at least on the important topics. Um, so to me, that like healthy tension in your own mind of never getting too comfortable, never allowing certainty to creep in, that's really the key magic sauce, I think, to, to finding happiness. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And I found for my advanced age of nearly se- of just over 70 that unfortunately myself as a prime example, and I think a lot of other people we only start gaining this wisdom when we've already spent a good part of our lives chasing the wrong thing. <laughs> so true. Would you go along with that? I would. I totally would. And I think to me, that goes back to like from a, from a first principles level, the way I think about that is um, it's, it's, it's our own minds. It's how they function. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. subconscious aspect of it, like the way I think of the subconscious is, and again, not new, just my take on it, um, is that it's, it's like this super protective caring, loving thing in our minds, but it's just not that intellectually sophisticated. It can't really step back and see the big picture. So all the actions we like our intuition or our subconscious wants to push us towards, I don't think they're meant to be self-destructive. I think it seems like the math checks out and like, these are all Mm -hmm. good decisions in the short term, Mm -hmm. but it often it's optimizing more for comfort or safety and security rather than other things. It's just not sophisticated enough to play it out. So that's why I think that mathematical logic, that very thoughtful approach to life is necessary to counter that. Like you want your conscious mind working through it. It's not enough just to trust our subconscious or even our conscious sometimes. Kathleen, I'm monopolizing Terry here. Let's give you a chance. (laughs) All right. Terry, where do you believe your studies will take you with all of this? Do do you have a goal in mind? Is it to to help other people? Uh, What is it? What is your end game with this? Yeah, I'll give kind of the big picture and then the more specific answer. Um, The trick in the big picture is kind of, it's similar to what I was just talking about, a similar principle. Um, I'd like to believe, you know, over this time period that I've been studying this, I've learned some things from others, right, that I've picked up from others that I've been able to interpret and receive in a certain way that's helped me. And I feel like my life is happier and more fulfilled because of it. And it's an ongoing process, right? You have to keep that tension there. But the second you go and try and tell somebody like, okay, now I'm going to help you do it almost by definition, you lose it there because it's, it can't, if I thought I knew the, all the answers and I had the magic sauce that I could go give you Kathleen or you Peter, then I don't really get it. 
because getting it means that it's not that simple. You guys have to mm-hmm. go through the process just like I, we all do. And it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. So I struggle with that a lot. I say that because as I think about where this goes, it's tough to say, like, it's not, it's not something that I think about trying to like monetize necessarily. Um, so that's, that's a kind of a tricky thing for me, but what I'm doing right now, so I can at least tell you that is um, a podcast that I started, which is called what's the value. And it's pretty much having conversations like this, where I try and understand other people's perspectives. So I ask them what they value most in life. And then we have a conversation and kind of explore it and dissect it and try and understand it just to kind of get that perspective. Because I think that helps me learn, them learn, and everybody learn. And at the end of the day, I guess the most direct answer to your question is um, where I think this takes me. My hope is, it just takes me to a happier life at the end of it. At the end of life, I feel like I got, I optimized for more happiness and joy. And that's, I mean that in like, not just the hedonistic sense of happiness, but in true happiness. Like I figured out what matters to me. In my case, it's my family, my son, you know, things like that. Um, and I live in accordance with that. And this whole process helps me do that better. What it looks like specifically, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm going to throw another one in that I, something you mentioned earlier, mental toughness. Would you, from your observations, your experience, would you say that people acquire mental toughness incrementally and that if they get through a tough patch, as you did with losing a sibling and then you know, your son being born, you get through that, does that build you strength and give you a foundation for getting through the next whatever may, may come along and, and hit you? I think so. I think logically that sounds right, that we kind of do build it up. Um, I don't know if it's truly built up, though, like where we don't have it and then we build it up or if we always have it and it's just convincing ourselves to tap into it more. But that might be the other side of the same coin. So probably the same thing. But I do think so. I do think so. I mean, I think there's only much only so much you can think yourself through and kind of just using that kind of one side of it where you're just trying Mm -hmm. to get clarity and understand it. That can only take you so far. I do think there's something to be said for building it up. And you see a lot of that in kind of the, the self-improvement world today, where a lot of people are, it's, it's combined with like nutrition and health. And I yep. think that's because that's often the easiest place to start to build it up. If you can start to build up your mental toughness and all that with eating better or exercising and running every day, that starts to, that process. And then you can kind of sure. manifest it out into other areas. So yeah, short answer is, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right, Peter. Yeah. I, I, one of the reasons I asked you that is, is I've had some, a very different experience in Africa to most North Americans. And so I don't get fired up about the dangers of this virus that's going around. Um, but some people, the fear of it drives them to absolute pieces, even though we know that their chances of being badly affected or dying are minimal. Other people suddenly faced for the first time in their lives, you know, people in their 40s and 50s with unemployment, are, are, are devastated by the concept. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not losing any sleep over it. Um, and I, I put it in my case, I put it down to having gone through so much worse over a long period and, and lost everything a couple of times. That's why I asked you that question. Do, yeah. do, having got through it once, does it prepare you now for a sudden hit? Um, I think it and, does. and I think it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Although, as you might guess, where my mind goes as you're saying that, and for myself as much as you, Peter, but I'll only speak for myself, my mind always goes to like, where's the, where's the trap? Where's the mental trap in it? And, and getting yeah. overconfident and feeling like, well, I've been through worse. This is nothing. Not, I'm sure. not saying you're saying that by any means, but I'm saying in any dynamic where you feel like I've got this figured out, my mind always goes to like, well, you better check that. You better make sure yeah. because oh, if yeah. you feel oh, too yeah. confident, there might be some danger in that. But yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's, that, that's true. I could give you some examples of that, but it's, I don't want to keep on talking about that. So uh, what I want to ask you from, from your experience, and you've had a long experience in this, and you've been in the corporate world as well, uh, do you, is there a characteristic 
or, or habit or, or something special that sets those who naturally end up being more balanced, happy and satisfied <clears throat> from those who never get there and who are continually on, say, that hamster wheel of the corporate ladder and uh, always wondering what they should be doing. Is there anything major differences between the two you can identify? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's three things that I've, that I've touched on already, but I'll, but I'll sum them up a bit and mm-hmm. I'll say the one that I think is most critical. I think the three critical components or, or really important components are that mental toughness we just spoke about, right? So building yep. that up and having that um, humility, as I, as I spoke a little bit about yep. before, and then also some level and of what I would call like um, logical sophistication, the ability to, to kind of follow a thread. And I don't mean that to sound you know condescending or anything, but the ability to uh-huh. really understand what's going on in your mind, all different inputs and kind of piece it together to see to try and get a better sense of what's there. I think when you put those three things together, it gives you the best opportunity to succeed. And if I had to pick one out of those three, I I mentioned it before, but I think it has to be humility. I think that has, it's not enough. I don't think on its own, but without humility, you won't recognize you're not as mentally tough as you think you are. Right. And which I did for a lot of my life. I like to think I was a tough person and I could do things I wanted to do. And I kept failing at different things and not being honest with myself about it. Cause ironically, I wasn't mentally tough and I wasn't humble enough to admit that to myself. Um, same thing on the, on the logical side, it's our minds are so quick to jump to conclusions and say like, cause that's what we want. We want to understand things and have it be cohesive that we, we jump and we think, okay, I understand this. I know this, this is definitely true. Having the humility to say, I don't know, like, I think it might be that, but I'm really not sure. Maybe there's some other information or maybe I don't have the right perspective on it. To me, that humility opens your mind to get to a better outcome. And without it, it's just so much more likely you're going to head down a path that's just either illogical or inefficient or something of that nature. All right. So, so here's a follow-up to that one. Is it possible for people to discover and become humble and discover humility without a major jolt of some sort? Good question. It's a good question. I'd like to think yes. Um, and, and I think it goes back to the mental toughness point. I think it's similar in that you could start practicing it a little bit and you'll see the positive results of it. But that initial, to your question, that initial being willing to be more humble it's such a tricky thing because almost by mm-hmm. definition of it, if you're not humble, you're not willing to entertain the idea that you're not humble because you think you're great. So it is That's a really right. hard thing to break out of. So I think my answer to that would be the jolt. Definitely. I think that life adversity, that jolt is probably the most common thing that does it. I would mm-hmm. go out on a limb and say, obviously, I don't know this for sure, but that mathematical, logical type of thinking that's a good example of why I think that's so valuable. Cause let's say you are somebody who's not that humble. If you can follow the thread and be logical enough, I think, and you're like, you will, you will get to a place where you're like, Oh, maybe I'm not as humble as I think I am. It's not as easy as that jolt. Um, it's yep. challenging. It's not, you know, it's, it's got its downsides, but to me, I do think that is a route to it. So I think people being more thoughtful, being more reflective, meditating, like we said before, I do think that goes a long way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that interesting. Thank you. That that was good. That's very good. So, I think also that um, humility plays an important factor when you're having dis- deep discussions, especially about mm-hmm. philosophy with people, because everyone has a different opinion. Mm-hmm. And as humans, uh, you know, we want we want to change people's thinking to so that they match our thinking, right? You want to try to convince somebody of of something. And I, I suppose that's where the humility comes into place, where you just kind of have to step back and, and just allow somebody to have their express their own opinion. Mm. How do you how do you typically handle that? 
Yeah, I think so. The, the one of the people that I look up to most, maybe the person I look up to most, is uh, is Richard Feynman. You guys familiar with Richard Feynman? Uh, he was a Nobel mm-hmm. Prize winning physicist. Um, he was also a yes. bit of a philosopher in his own right. But mm-hmm. um, so this is this is one of the most brilliant people in the world. Uh, as I said, won a Nobel Prize. Um, and if you've ever listened to him speak or read any of his books, um, to me, I often say like I want to Feynman the situation. Like that's the mentality I want to bring to it. And when I think of him. What I think of is like a ferocious open-mindedness, a ferocious, a ferocious degree of openness to say it could be all different answers. I, I don't know things, right? There's so much out there that I don't know, paired with a ferocious skepticism. So it's not just mm-hmm. completely open to I'll go with whatever somebody tells me. I'm open to it. I entertain the idea it might be that, but it's got to pass the test. I have to go through and be skeptical mm-hmm. and question and look at it. And his ability to pair those things to me is kind of what I aspire towards. And what's beautiful about him is he did it in kind of a, a, a humble, I guess, way, but in a way where it wasn't, sometimes it was, but often wasn't like offensive to people. He was in search mm-hmm. of the truth. He was in search of learning more. And I think when that feels genuine, um, it makes it much, much easier to, to do that. Yeah. I got to throw in a quick comment here. You mentioned humility. I would say certainly the most successful businessman we've ever had or business person we've ever had as a guest on this show who's also one of the greatest humanitarians we've come across in our short career of co-hosting this show. And Kathleen knows the gentleman I'm talking about. His name is Jim. Um, he mentioned that same fact when we mm. asked him. And he, he's highly successful and very mm. wealthy and does a huge amount, more than you can ever imagine, for, uh, in his case, immigrants, right? Um mm. And, and when we asked him that question, similar to what I've just asked you, because he was a businessman, it was more aligned with success than anything mm. else. He said humility. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, and remember that, Kirsty. I, I, yeah. I do now. Yes, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know yeah. what I think about that, Peter, is what, one of the concepts I come back to a lot, back to philosophy, is uh, I think it was Plato's idea of like the philosopher king. And mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that, his, his belief was the only person that should lead should be the philosopher king. Like now we could debate this, but the idea was it's, it's the person who doesn't really want power. They're just in search of yep. wisdom. They're trying to improve. That's the person that should lead. Um, not the one who wants it, not the one who's seeking it, not the one who's after it. And I think kind of just conceptually that idea of a philosopher king, that's somewhat like Richard Feynman, like I was just talking about, sounds somewhat like Jim, the gentleman mm-hmm. you're mentioning, Peter. It's those people who can somehow figure it out. Um, and they are in positions of power, they are in positions of influence, but they don't allow that to overtake them. They can stay kind of true and balanced to what they are. Yeah, that's, kind of that's the goal in many ways. Yeah. And something we can all aspire to, certainly. We're running out of time, Kathleen. Yes. Terry, if somebody wanted to contact you, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, for sure. So I, I mentioned the YouTube page. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the other best way is uh, Instagram account is probably the best way. So for that podcast I mentioned that, I, that I'm kind of focusing this effort towards now, um, so it's what's W-H-A-T-S underscore the underscore value underscore podcast. So what's the value podcast? Okay. It's also on Spotify. Um, that's probably the best way to do that. Okay. Instagram. We'll put all that on, on the in the description and on the on the video for you. Thank Terry, that was wonderful. Thank, thank you very much. Thank I really, you so really much enjoyed that. Could Please go on well. and on. And I'm going to be watching your channel, your YouTube channel for uh, sure. I appreciate that a ton. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Terry. And thank you all again so very much for tuning in. Please, again, keep those comments coming. We love to read them. And until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye.